Hello and welcome to Bringing Education Home. I'm Christina. And I'm Herb. Together we are bringing you ideas about education, entrepreneurships, and relationships that are both inside and outside the box. Today we have the pleasure of talking with Lynn and we're going to be talking about reading and homeschool, but bringing education home actually, and all the different things connected. If you are a fan of the show, please remember to follow Christina on Facebook. So a little bit of an introduction for Lynn. She has been in special education for over 35 years, servicing students as a classroom teacher and as well as a consultant with reading and social emotional challenges. She's been a former trainer director of a Boston-based training, a teacher training nonprofit. She's currently a 22-year national trainer of early literacy practices and social emotional development for school districts of need across the America. Currently, she specializes as a reading therapist of 13 K-5 through students across the United States and demonstrating extreme reading challenges. Lynn, we are so glad you're joining us today. Thank you so much for spending the time with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I enjoy being here. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. All right. Well, we're just going to kind of jump in here. And I listed a lot of things that you have been doing in the past. Kind of what is your focus now? What's your main? Ah, well, thanks for asking. Um, the focus changes pretty frequently according to what's happening in my environment, just so you know. But because COVID has occurred for so many years, the focus was forced to change. Mm -hmm. And what happened was... I was working in the public school system in Oregon and realized that as children were uh, going online, the COVID slide was happening more and more. For our young emerging readers, they weren't getting foundational skills in place. Mm -hmm. And as a result, they were learning to read in ways that aren't scientifically and evidence-based. As a result of that, things changed quickly for me in terms of going online with children and going online with teachers to help them better understand foundational reading skills that children need to have in order to be strong readers later in life. So what did non-reading, non-scientific reading look like? I, I haven't heard that term. How, how does that present itself? Ah, thanks for asking. That's a huge question right now. Under the umbrella of something called the science of reading, Right now, we are very aware that there is some strong science behind how to teach reading accurately. Unfortunately, that information is not typically taught in the university system in America. As a result, teachers often learn to teach reading the way they learned. And the way they may have learned was to memorize words. Not all children can do that. As a matter of fact, about 25% of emerging readers need direct systematic instruction on how to read. They need to know how sounds are sound the same or different. That's called discrimination of phonemes. They need to learn how sounds go in an order to make a word. An example of that would be the word mop has three sounds, m, op. And they also have to know how if they change one of those sounds in a word, they get a new novel word. If I change mop and change the first sound, I get top. Those are foundational skills that have to happen before a child ever sees A says ah. But teachers wow. did not learn that in the university system. So teachers start out of the gates with here's a word, let's memorize it. And exactly. that's old kind of reading instruction. The new science of reading says 25% of children will just fall behind on that level of instruction. No. 
is that what they mean by sight words? The sight words are the... Yeah, thanks for asking, Herb. Sight words are words that sometimes we do think we've just memorized, but we really haven't. Our brain has taken in all the sounds in that word and it's able to put it in an order and figure out what part doesn't make sense and what part does and then read the word. But many teachers just ask kids to memorize words. That's not what we have to do. We have to analyze a word. What plays fair? What doesn't play fair? Until a child has done it so often that it becomes almost muscle memory to them. And that's that part of neurons that fire together, wire together. So we have to keep practicing the skill of an analyzing words so that we can read them fluently and we can spell them fluently. There's a lot of work behind it, and it's all based in an idea called phonemic awareness. That's how sounds in words go in an order. And also phonics, how A says ah, but I have to tell you, A doesn't just say ah, I wish it did. <laughs> if an R is next to it, it says R. If a W is next to it, it says aw. So when we say to a child, A says ah, honey, nah, about 48% of the time, A says ah. So that's why we need to have more systematic, explicit delivery of, of reading instruction in order to have all children, all children learn to read, not just a subset of them that would learn in spite of us. So <laughs> you, you work with teachers specifically. Um, we're, we're, we're creating a, a hybrid homeschool kind of a system where we're actually going to have teacher interaction. But if parents in a homeschool want to teach their children, how easy is it for them to get this kind of information? I mean, you're 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 now teaching teachers. Um, is homeschooling missing this, or or how how is this affecting homeschools? Boy, what a great question! So I've been doing this for over twenty years, training teachers, and I have to tell you that my most successful group of people that I train aren't even teachers; they're homeschool parents. And I need to tell you the reason for that. Homeschool parents are very tuned in to the idea of dyslexia and reading difficulties. As a result, they're very willing to read the research and figure out how to attack to make this work. Teachers are very busy people with 30, 40 kids in a classroom, and they're looking for just a curriculum that the school district gives them so that life isn't so complicated. And they're trying to hit the norm, just the average child in the class when you got a homeschooling mama or you got programming that deals with homeschoolers, you end up being able to be far more flexible with how you deliver the system. Some children need a multi-sensory approach of using their hands to learn how to read. Some children use their eyes, many use their ears. So but in 27 years, if there was a kid in your class using their hands how to try and learn how to read, how would you have dealt with that? Ah, that's a good question. It's a very good question. Um, I, I'm going to say, if I were to say to a child, hey, I'm thinking of how many sounds are in this word, they're going to hold up their hand mm -hmm. and they're going to put every sound on their fingers. So if I said the word is top, they may go t-op. But if I say the word is stop, they may go s-t-op. And they have to put it on their fingers in order to hold that idea in their head. Exactly. Without it, children don't know there are sounds in words. Many, many children don't know there are sounds in words. They know there are letters in words. Mm. Yeah. 
Exactly. But the problem, as you may already know, is that one letter does not equate to one sound. That's one thing I learned a lot working with my students in my classroom over the years. Yeah. And being able to use all of those things, blocks or fingers or whatever, to help them learn to read. Exactly. Yeah. Slinky is one of the favorite toys because exactly. we got to the words and push them back. And, and we happen to know that even though the number one way of learning is through our vision, vision trumps everything. It trumps auditory. It trumps everything. Olfactory. But what helps vision a great deal is using your hands. Mm -hmm. So we rarely have children writing when they're learning to read and spell. We have them pulling things with their hands like blocks in front of them to hold spaces of sounds mm -hmm. because handwriting is a very complicated skill. It requires something called visual motor integration. And with, if you don't have that, we may think you don't know how to spell. That's just not true. You may not know how to write with a pen or pencil, but you can certainly spell if we give you the chance to pull letters with your hands instead. This has been amazing information already. Can you tell us a little bit? Let's take a step back. What got you into all of this? Why is re specialized reading so important to you? Gosh, thanks for asking. It's, um, it's been a long journey. When I first graduated from school in special ed, um, I was pretty sure I was only going to work with children with strong social emotional uh, challenges. Mm -hmm. It was a real, I was very, very interested in what used to be called kids with emotional disturbance. Mm -hmm. um, I started, however, in a school, a private boarding school in Burlington, Vermont, that dealt with both children with um, some social emotional issues, but primary dyslexia issues. And the children that lived there were all in grades sixth grade through 12th grade. Mm -hmm. And they lived there full time to get their needs met. I was hired by these folks and all of a sudden realized there was a whole nother world to reading education that I had not touched in college. And uh, it made me very, very interested knowing that uh, dyslexia or reading disabilities do not stand alone. They stand comorbidly next to maybe a child feeling poor about themselves, maybe a child having anxiety because they think they can't read, even maybe depression because they think they're not as strong as the kids next to them. And it made me realize that I needed to jump in with both feet, but into two arenas, the reading disability arena as well as the arena of social emotional development. So wow. I started early with that and then moved on. I was a, a trainer at Boys Town, which is a program for poorly behaved young men and women, and was a trainer along the way, had 13 foster children that were emotionally challenged. Wow. Yeah. And then ended up saying, oh my gosh, I had no idea that the school districts had no idea of how um, the science of reading could impact their instruction. And as soon as I got involved with that about 20 years ago, I've never looked back. I have worked on the science of reading for over 20 years now, trying to get this into teachers so they feel more valuable as teachers. Mm -hmm. Because many of us as teachers feel like we weren't taught the right things at the university level. Exactly. I can't blame a teacher, but I surely, I have to be honest, I tend to blame the, the universities mm -hmm. that are not doing this. Yeah. Yeah, looking back at my early reading, teaching through college before I became the classroom teacher, same exact thing. It was just yeah. high level, quick stuff. 
And then I was just told, oh, just follow the curriculum. But I realized as I was teaching, that's not it. There was so much more to it that I had to do in the classroom to help those kiddos learn how to There really is. And isn't it interesting because everybody's looking for the uh, perfect curriculum. There is no perfect curriculum because all children aren't the same. And so the main thing we need to do, in my opinion, when we engage with a child is we need to um, build their social emotional capacity and we need to have them be able to um, feel trust in their person they're working with. They need to feel competent. And then when we move from there, we know exactly. I never ask a child to prove themselves unless I know they can prove themselves. Mm -hmm. Why would I possibly ask them to do a spelling test where I haven't taught everything ahead of time? Yeah. And so those are the ways that things come together. Since then, I've just traveled around America training teachers. I have met the nicest teachers in the world. And many of them say to me at the end of a two or three day training, Mm -hmm. how could I have made it this far and not know? And I say uh, with full compassion, I say, you know, my very first year in a public school system, I feel like I owe an apology letter to a lot of the kids because <laughs> I didn't have the answers. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Now I do. And I'm going to make sure any teacher that crosses my path has the chance to learn about these things. And I want to give a quick shout out to all those teachers who are there at those trainings who really do want to learn. I mean, you know, there's there's this good, good, bad teacher image out there right now. And there are so many awesome teachers who are really, really trying but they don't have the opportunity to learn. And so, you know, those who come uh, along beside you and learn and take that back to their classrooms, they get to have, they need to have some kudos. I totally agree with you. I am yet to meet a teacher and I've trained thousands of teachers now that I don't feel was trying their hardest to do the best they could with the tools they have. Mm -hmm. The problem is if no tool has ever crossed your path, that tells you that you don't start learning to read by guessing at words. Mm -hmm. Instead, you learn to read by going back to the foundations of speech pathology. And how do you make sounds with your mouth? And how do you put those sounds in an order? How do you change up the order to make a rhyme? If we don't know that, we can only follow what the curriculum says, which is just jump on in and teach memorization of words. So I definitely agree with that. And I am a big believer that we only know what we know. And if no one has ever shared that information, then it really needs to be many of our jobs because we're in the know now. We finally become in the know. Let's keep sharing it with others because everybody is anxious to learn. Every teacher I've met wants to know this information. Perfect. Do you have a question? You go. Oh, my turn. Awesome. Um, Well, so over, over the last couple minutes talking with you, you said that a lot of things have changed kind of in and out of the district, things like that. So it sounds like you're kind of an entrepreneur also. What kind of mindset does that take or what did you kind of have to look at to do that jumping kind of back and forth? Or Right. So thanks. Um, I actually do have that entrepreneurial um, mindset. I've jumped back and forth between the public system and uh, running a teacher consortium on my own back and forth for many, many years. Mm -hmm. Um, I have to be honest that I really enjoy the entrepreneurial piece of it because um, more, to be honest with you, Mm -hmm. because I I really have a a laser focus on what I'd like to achieve. And it is no district's fault, but they have a lot of policies in place that Mm -hmm. don't always allow you to rapidly achieve that goal. But when you're on your own, you're more able to do it. 
-hmm. So I will tell you that if you ask for what's the one thing you've learned, um, this is a toughie because I would definitely say look before you leap would be one of the things that I say about being an entrepreneur because I have a very, um, I've been known to have a gregarious personality. (laughs) And as a result, I'm like, sure, I can do that. Let's make it happen without really putting the details in place. Uh So I have to tell you that I've been very lucky in the world that I've been called to do trainings without, with very little marketing Mm -hmm. and the word of mouth gets out. But I'm well aware my new adventure that we're working on is here in Davis, California. We're starting um, something called the Reader's Playground, which is an actual physical place for children to come Mm -hmm. for about 75 minutes after school, where we take all the basic concepts of foundational reading and put them into gameplay. Wow. So we'll have small groups of children coming to do nothing but play games according to the science of reading. And that's something they may or may not see in their current system. Mm -hmm. And so um, what attaches to that is some online interventions. So children get one-on-one with me, Mm -hmm. and then we all come together into this big environment where we all play each week. And for me, uh, you know, I'm a fan of the Ben and Jerry's bumper sticker that says, if it's not fun, why do it? And I definitely agree that most children would believe that as well. We lean into what feels easy and comfortable and we back away from things that make Mm -hmm. us not feel bright. Right. And so my job is to make you believe that reading is the most fun thing in the world. And what that does is it it makes me piggyback on the social emotional development of a child who may have fear around reading. So we're trying to erase that fear and in place, replace it with this idea of fun stimulation. That is awesome. So you're combining so many important things, the fun, the reading, the learning all together. So this 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 place you're building, um, are, are you as an entrepreneur, are you documenting the processes and in, in getting everything in place so that once you get this set up, you can then pick it up and move it to another city and another city? Because it sounds like what you have right now is needed more than just where you are. So um Do you have plans for for future expansion and are you working (laughs) with people? Because a lot of what you're doing sounds like would fit very well within our school system um, as a compliment, compliment, but we're also we're we're non-localized, but we're going to have people. So if they are close to you, it would be great to be able to send. That's the goal, Herb. The goal is we're going to uh, here we go again. Neurons that fire together, wire together. We're going to rehearse this. Um, we're going to open up our building as probably as of January, as of right now, we're going to open up the building and offer this. We're going to be uh, t- connecting with local schools because you have to understand, and you may understand this already, mm-hmm. that local schools often don't want any private specialist walking through the door because it makes might make them believe, oh, my gosh, we should be able to do this. Why do we need you to come in and do it? And so you have to be very careful about your marketing. An Mm -hmm. example of this, just a little side note, is I um, do a lot of work with children online. Most public schools will not allow me to work with them while that child is on a break in school. Um, They will only only private schools will allow that. Public schools don't want to be caught in a situation Mm -hmm. where they say, 
we need to bring in outside help. Our school district knows how to bring in the help. Right. And that's what they say, because no one wants to be open to any legal issues. And so as a result, it's very hard to piggyback on the public schools unless you offer it after school. Got it. So that's our goal. So back to you, Herb, the idea of trying to make this, like we're very clear on the, the delivery model and what mm -hmm. needs to happen in this. We know exactly that we need to teach phonological processing, which is that sounds in the language mm -hmm. um, first. But what we need to see is what is the threshold for how many children can play together before we end up having more social emotional issues than academic issues. That's and so great. We're checking these things because it is a it's a balance. And as you may know, I mean, I know you know, Christina. Yeah. When you end up in a classroom, I just came out of a classroom not long ago that had 45 kids in the fourth grade. Way too That's many. Too many. That's too many. That's too many. I have to be honest, more than 12 is too many. And so um if you really want to get to know the child's learning style, understand the best way for them to engage and take in the information. You, The only way to do it with 30, 40 kids in a group is to just shoot for the mean, just shoot for the middle ground. Yeah. With, with our school system, we're uh, we're planning on class sizes of, of no more than 15. Yep. That's great. And, and, but still it's, it's, we're, we're going to be looking at it. And, and again, like, like you do at some age levels, it can be more, some age levels, exactly. it can be less. Um, there are some personality profiles that we're going to take to it really well. So, you know, there's, there's all sorts of variants and we want, we want, we don't want to play numbers. We we're yeah. going to be working with people with entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs right. you know, know that value. So, you know, we're going to be, be working very specifically with kids on curriculum designed for each family. Um, I love hearing this. And you'll better know, you know, the more social emotional needs that come on the table, mm -hmm. the more you understand that that has to be addressed. Exactly. And, and, yeah. and you know, I totally agree that, that the public school system really, really needs this help. Probably more so than, than the people that we're going to be addressing first. But the people that we're going to be addressing first are the people that are really moving this country forward right now. They're the small business one. They're the people and they're going to be influencing more and more people in building businesses. So if we get the school in front of these people, then their influence is going to spread and make the school bigger, quicker. And then and then we will eventually be able to to go back into the school systems once we get established. So have you thought about possibly working more um, with the homeschool pods, the parents that you say, yeah. just jump into it and really expand your business with people who are just jumping for the opportunity to work with you. And then once you get them set up, bring the schools in as, as a follow-up. Um, but I think, so yes. if, just kind of how my brain works outside the box, outside of the school system mm -hmm. by hitting these people that are excited and thrilled and pushing to work with you. It's going to expand your reach much quicker and allow you to hit the other people that you really want to get to. So just kind of a, just kind of a thought there as, cause you are doing wonderful work. <laughs> I want you to to be able to get out there more quickly. I want to be able to work with you with our school system too. So just kind of 
an outside you. of the box way to look at yeah. this. And so sort of going back just a little bit to what you had said earlier, the real goal is to have a, uh, a model of how to offer really good, what I call reading therapy, mm -hmm. uh, social, emotional and reading therapy. I, I think we need to get out of the word tutorial. Yeah. I think that's just not honoring the teachers that come to the table to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe that in, to get a model for this is going to take a very clear year of practice to show people what does indeed work and where that balance is, like I had said, between the social, emotional and the academic. I already know that online we can bring a child up multiple grade levels in one year at two oh, yeah. minute, two yeah. 30 minute periods a week. We can move them up. Most of the children, I work with 13 children online right now, and I'm going to lose over half of them coming up in this next month because it's been almost a year and they're at level. That is so right amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. Well, thank you. And it wasn't really just about me. It's about the concept, the model, the delivery, mm -hmm. all of those things. And the only thing I've been missing in the last year is this thing we're trying to do called the Reader's Playground, which right. brings kids in to feel the joy. Because, Christina, would you agree that from a reading perspective, a lot of people don't want to teach phonics because they say it zaps the joy out of reading? Yes. And they want this thing called whole language, which is see and guess and look at the pictures and read on and be happy. The nope. problem is that never teaches a reading strategy. It Correct. never teaches how to decode a word, mm -hmm. but it does have the child smile. And so I want to find a way to get a smiling kiddo mm -hmm. with some phonics embedded in him or her so that it can be the perfect combination. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why in my classroom there was always the the phonics, the segmenting, all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But then there was always read aloud. So we could have that joy of experiencing a right. story and talking about the vocabulary and the you know, right. comprehension and the joy of the story. Because if they're having fun, they might not even realize that they're learning. They're and learning. then it sets in so much better because, oh, I get to remember how to play this game instead of, oh, I have to remember how to say that. Exactly. And the truth is there are so many awesome games out there right now to play with kiddos that help mm -hmm. them rehearse uh, word analysis that it's ridiculous. And so even online, there's lots of games that can be played. So I know I have to get kiddos in my back pocket first so that they're loving life and then they're open to learning most strategies. And that's so fun. Exactly. Wonderful. Um, so um, we are like working with entrepreneurs and we're, we're going to have them taking their kids out of school because, you know, most of them want to, yeah. but, you know, they're working so hard they don't know it's possible. Right. And so they, they think, oh, I can't do that. I've got all of this stuff going. So we're our, our part of what we're going to be doing is we're going to be showing them how that it is possible and not only possible, but actually a better solution for their family and their child's education. So um, what what are what advice? What what do you what advice? Simple advice do you have for parents who are just pulling their kids out? Those like for the first for transition. the first month, how do you how what advice do you give to a parent who's first pulling their kids out and getting involved in this? Ah, thanks. Um, so very clearly, if that family is coming from public education, there's an awful lot of parameters in public education, and parents have just always fallen into it. Like I know I go to parent teacher meetings when they call them. I'm supposed to make sure that my kiddo does their homework. 
But for the most part, public school is a little bit hands-offy for parents in terms of curriculum. And I need to tell you that my recommendation is your parent is your partner. Mm-hmm. And particularly from a social emotional aspect. Yes. And so I need to say that if you have a parent, and I, I don't know if you will, but if you have parents that don't have the basics of A, how to praise approximations of certain behaviors, mm-hmm. how to preventatively front load, how to get a kid to follow an instruction. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, that must be taught with parents first. And that is not something that happens in the public system, but it is a joyful thing that I am allowed to do in my program. All parents get on with me and we rehearse how to ask your child to follow an instruction, how to do and and what to do when they do follow a partial piece of it, how to praise that partial piece of it rather than say you didn't do it again. So parents have to be your partners in this because all of us are going to be giving children basic instructions and the children need to know how to manage it. So I will rehearse with children as well as parents. Um, When I follow an instruction, you need to look at me, say, okay, do the job and let me know you're done. And if you do those things, sometimes it starts with kiddos earning points because who knows, they just want to earn something fun. But down the road, if parents don't know to do that, they may ask their child to go get their school books and sit down. Kiddo gets lost along the way doing something fun and parents explode. Yep. The deal here is that you have to rehearse that skill a hundred times to expect a child to do it on their own. A baseball player will swing that bat the same way a million times before they get into the pros. Excellent. Yeah. And I often say to my kiddos, you want to be a pro? You got to keep practicing. Yeah, g- golfers get blisters because they'll sit there with one club and swing it 10,000 times a day for 10,000 sure. days just, just, just to get the muscle memory so that the swing right. is consistent. Yeah. So, yeah, it's that is wonderful that- because exactly what we're planning on doing the first month of mm-hmm. our school when they join us is parent parent teacher or parent yeah so the first month is is your kids are going to catch up so fast right once we get you trained (laughs) don't worry about the kids for the first month we have to get you ready so that you can deal with what's coming i totally agree and by the way don't think that i'm shying away from them also understanding the concepts of science of reading I think parents need to understand the basic concepts of the science of reading as well. They don't need to be teachers, but they need to understand, Christina, why you are going to be working with a child playing with the sounds in the language before you ever show letters. Because a child's speech leads to their great reading. It never goes the other way around. So if a child has articulation errors, we need to deal with that at a foundational level before you ask them to apply it to reading. And that is true. Parents need to understand things like this, that the, the phoneme or the sound that goes with the letter R, it goes R, like that. We need to, parents need to understand that developmentally that doesn't occur until the end of age seven for many, many children right. to say that sound. So can't say R's until you're seven. Yeah, about, uh, and it's one of the latest emerging phonemes or smallest units of sound within a word in our language. But if parents don't know that, they're going to be hammering away on a little one to say the R sound correctly. 
And the truth is, it's very difficult. It requires a lot of muscle, doesn't it, Christina? Yeah, tongue muscle in the back of their mouth. So those are the things, like the developmental windows are things that parents don't always know. Children don't come with instructions. And so those developmental windows of things that are important, at least to me, um, would be this. The average child should rhyme by the age of four. If your child is not rhyming, they may need some direct instruction. The average child should be able to um, blend sounds in a word. If I said the word was um, shoe, they should be able to go shoe, shoe by about age five. Yeah. And it's five and a half that they should be able to do this. Shoe and pull it apart. Nice. We are going to have to have a lot more discussions. This has been so amazing with so much information that you've given us today. And I really appreciate your time and your effort and everything that we've learned today. I'm hoping that all of our listeners have learned a lot as well today. And I'm looking forward to hopefully you coming back and going on a little bit deeper dive on maybe those speech sounds or maybe that reading um, progression or something like that. Yeah, I, I would totally love to continue this conversation again, but you know, we do need to be respectful of your time and you do have something coming up. So, you know, not, not trying to rush you off or anything, but, but because we know you have time frames. but this has been absolutely fascinating. Um, I absolutely loved how you saw a problem and are stepping up into the world and trying to make it a better place. So many people today see problems and just comment on them or say it online, you stepping up and actually leading and 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 even being a preparation for us because because mm -hmm. you you laid the groundwork even though we didn't know it for, for where we're going and you're going to be able to help us so so thank you so very very much for for living your life and for being you and for finding this passion for helping children and for moving through the world in such a, a beneficial and joyful way for other people your your service is truly appreciated thank you well, thank you so much it's been a total pleasure uh, spending time with you i am more than happy to come back at any other time that you'd like and i look forward to spending time working with you as i see your whole new project just emerge and blossom wonderful thank you thank you so much all right everyone that's going to be um, the end of our actually real quick <laughs> if, if somebody does listen and wants to get a hold of you how how can they get a hold of you how can they sure. come to you for help um, the easiest way to do it is to email me through rewiretherapy at gmail.com. So that's rewire, R-E-W-I-R-E, -E, and then therapy, T-H-E-R-A-P-Y, at gmail.com. And I'm happy to chat with them about what their needs might be. Awesome. And when we get this up and online, we will make sure we have all of this information yeah, in our, our comments, in our, in our notes. So, so thank you very much for being here again and have a wonderful day. Until next time. Thank All right, you so much, my friends. Listeners, thank you so very much. This is the end of bringing education home for this episode. Please join us again soon. Thank you, everybody.